Good afternoon and welcome to Open Air. And good afternoon, Ashwini. Hey, Michael. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Happy New Year. You too. Happy New Year. The first. Michael, I'm not in the microphone. I don't know if this is your experience. Okay, how is that? Is that better? I. Yes, it is. Okay, great, great. Thank you for that. And I'm going to start with announcements, unless you have something else you'd like to share, Ashwini? No, that's wonderful. Thank you. Okay. True Reflections is a six-week virtual training in cultivating attention on awareness to help participants nurture a lifelong friendship with wisdom, love, and compassion. The next class starts February 17th and is for those who have taken the introductory recording and listening class. And for this and other practice opportunities, visit livingcompassion.org. And a few reminders for today's show. If you'd like to get in the queue and talk with Ashwini, please press star six and then one to make a show and a conversation on one topic in about five minutes would be great. I'll find the queue here, Ashwini. All right. Ready, Ashwini? Ashwini, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. First caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Hi, this is Melissa in Hawaii. Hi, hey, Melissa. Hi. I'm calling because um, at the end of the last email class on acceptance, I started to see how um, guilt had been operating out of my awareness, I guess, all my life. Mm -hmm. I was just starting to mm -hmm. see it. And ever since then, I'm more and more aware of how um, ego gets me with it, like tries to find reasons that I should feel guilty, small and large, over anything, and how other people should feel guilty, and I judge them for um, the same sorts of things I would judge myself for. And I know that this is just a load of bull, that there's nothing to it, and it's... Um, a bamboozle, but I sometimes have a lot of trouble figuring out why it wouldn't be true. And I know that trying to figure it out is part of the problem. But one day I heard Sherry say something about guilt being that we can't cause other people's pain or something like that. And so guilt has no place. And I wanted to know more about that because I'm, I'm having some trouble understanding. Okay. So let me just reflect so I'm on, on the same page as you are. So the process of guilt is something that you're noticing ever since the end of the email class. And what you're noticing is the voices make you feel guilty and also judge other people for things that they've done so they should feel guilty, they should feel guilty about something. I'm noticing that process everywhere. And what is dropping in for you as a place of inquiry is that, is that comment from Sherry around how we can't cause any, anyone to feel pain. Right? We're not responsible for someone else's experience. And so that's where, uh, that's where you're looking for, um, for clarity, not figuring it out, but clarity. Yes. Yes, so perfectly said. About guilt. So I, I, tell me a little bit about what the voices accuse you of, because it's not that you feel guilty, you're made to feel guilty. And it's not that you judge other people, other people judge you, and you're not judged, it's that you are judged. But there's a certain content in that process that might be helpful to look at in some specificity so that we can sort of look at your question of clarification. Okay. Um, I actually think that it's been such a lifelong habit that almost any content could be used, but... <laughs> The most common, yeah, exactly, and I think which is which is so brilliant, right, Melissa? Because that's what we've been looking at all year, and in that acceptance email class, the process can be anything. So if your process is guilt, 
then any content can fit into that process, right? It doesn't matter. So, so you're noticing that yes. too, which is, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I'm seeing. Um, so, well, a recent thing that happened where I noticed how it's um, this, the judgment of others and the guilt for myself is the opposite side of the same coin. I'm reading this book, Crooked Cucumber, about Shunru Suzuki. I probably messed up his first name. And I got to the part where his first wife or whatever, one of his wives, the mother of his children had died and one of his children was taking it really hard. And so a doctor recommended that he send her to a mental institution. And I almost stopped reading the book. I had so much intense judgment of him. And I thought, this is going to end very badly. And um, it did. She ended up killing herself in the institution nine years later. And I just felt like outsized upset about it. And mm-hmm. It was like the opposite side of the guilt coin. Um, one of the biggest things I struggle with is my husband, my first husband's suicide when I was in my 20s. And so this is just like a big hot button for me. And I, I just realized that that's an area where I can't, I did eventually, after some reflection, come to some peace about my feelings my reaction to what he had done and how I perceived it. And I kept reading the book and I, I don't find the judgment arising around him anymore, but that's just an example of how it comes up. Mm -hmm. And I, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't have clarity around Uh not causing pain in that context. Uh So, so what it, what basically, so in the, it's, it's, it's sort of, let me just connect the dots there. Right. So there was a very painful episode in your earlier life where something happened where your husband committed suicide. And so there, I, I project that there was a tremendous feeling of feeling responsible for that, yes, for, for, for your part in that process, that to, to take on that whatever he did was something that resulted in, uh, something that you did resulted in this consequence. It, yes. it, am I following that? Yes. Yeah. And so yes. then in a, in a different way, sort of in a, uh, it, it gets projected onto this book that you were reading where uh, this person, uh, you know, this, his, his wife died and he, because he, she was committed to a mental institution and that there's a lot of judgment that what he did resulted in her experience and that's extremely painful and you feel upset about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, right, Melissa? So let's take them. I mean, do you see the connection there for yourself? I see that there's a connection. And as soon Uh as I stopped judging him, I calmed down about myself, but I don't understand it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it is hard. There is just so much in this, Melissa. So I'm, I'm not even sure where to start, but let's just start somewhere, right? So is it, is, it, um, is it clear to you that the suffering is entirely yours? That, that, that you know, I, judging this person or feeling responsible is the content of a process. And whatever is going on is not really because of what he did or what happened but somehow what, what is going on for you around it, it's your suffering. Yes, that's clear. That is clear. So, so then how, how have you worked with it, right? If we, don't, if we attempt to, to try to figure it out or go for understanding or clarity in that sense of the word, we just get more and more tangled because it's so interwoven and so, comp- so complicated with the Yes. who are the players and who is really me. So have you actually recorded and listened? Like have you done a two-handed recording with the, the person who gets so upset? Um, I have at times. I haven't lately. And I didn't in this case. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that might I, be one place to start because, the, because here's the thing. I'm not sure we can get to clarity about the experience 
other than processing it, right? Because we want, to, we want, because what I might have an, an experience or opinion that I could talk from, but really what you're attempting to do is to bring into conscious awareness all of the aspects of the conditioning and the suffering that happens for this person around this kind of content, around guilt and judgment, and attempt to, uh, to be with that suffering in order to go beyond it. So it's not a question yes. of understanding it as much as embracing the suffering that's happening and moving through the suffering, not as an intellectual process, but as a process of bringing conscious awareness to whatever the suffering is. It's interesting because when I am with the grief around this, you know, whether it's my first husband or from the book, when I'm with this sort of grief, it, I'm able to be with it until I start asking questions about blame and, and causality. Yeah. And then I yeah. move it, out of it. Or a, dif- or a different way of saying it is, instead of being with, with the experience of it, which allows you to process it, to embrace it, to feel it, to experience it, to move with it, the attention moves from a direct experience of, of that to attempting to make sense of it, right? And yeah. that movement that, that you just basically said is what, I mean, we have a different, we, we have, we define confusion as looking to condition mind for clarity. Yes, that's what happens. Right? And it's like I tried to right. undo it. In all these cases, I'm trying to make it not have happened which, you know, is its own mm-hmm. special form of non-acceptance, I guess. It's like... Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, special fo- so kind of non-acceptance. Or, in other words, uh, uh, somehow or the other, if I, if I rationalize it, then I don't have to contend with what's going on for me around it, right? Oh, wow, yes, yes. And that's interesting when you put it that way, then I guess if I can rationalize it, I can figure, it out, figure out how it happened and it will never happen again to anyone. There's some bizarre magical thinking around that. It, it, that that's right. Well, and, it, it, and when you say it that way, it goes to what, what Cherry was saying, right? I, I project that when we are very young, we, we develop that sense of egocentricity. If my mother is upset, it's my fault. So I, something I did caused her to be upset because she may have uh, said or done something to me, which, which then I take on and, and make it personal, right? That is sort of the basis of egocentricity. Everything that's happening in the universe is somehow or the other my fault. I caused that to happen, and I'm responsible, and then it becomes me, the agent of the universe, attempting to arrange circumstances so that I don't cause anyone else any, any pain, and if any pain exists out there, then somehow or the other, I'm responsible for ensuring that that pain doesn't happen. But that entire manipulation is for me not to feel the way I, I don't want to feel. Yeah, and when you say all that, it makes me realize that not just with guilt, but with a whole lot of my ego reactions, it's always about trying to undo it, trying to make it not have happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, and when we look at it with somewhat of a disidentified perspective, which doesn't allow me to, uh, which is not the same thing as doing a two-handed recording exercise and being with the grief or being with the upset or being with the pain or being with the confusion between pain and responsibility and all of those things we can't parse. But when we look at it from a disidentified perspective, we can, we can tell that we're not the architect of the universe, Right. <laughs> what do you mean? Yes. <laughs> right? I, 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 can't, I mean, I can't, even, um, I can't even control would be a bad word, not a very good word to use, an unskilled word to use, but I can't even determine what is going on for me, let alone <laughs> uh, yeah. determine what's going on for someone else, right? So when we look at it from that very, very disidentified perspective, there's a way in which I understand that what's going on for me is going on for me, and I can pay attention to my experience and be with my experience 
not in a way to understand it, but in a, in a way to, to go through it, right? To, to look at it, bring awareness to what's going on. That's true for, for everybody and everything. Now, you have that experience, right? You might say something kind to someone, and then the other person takes offense. Your intention was to be kind. They took offense. And somehow or the other, it becomes your responsibility for having to figure out how to say something to someone else in order for them not to take offense. But the reason they are taking offense is because conditioning is working on them and whatever is going on for them interprets what you're saying for them to have the experience that they're having. That's what Mm -hmm. she's pointing to. All of us are are walking around with our own, uh, all of these conditioned beliefs and assumptions and machinations and karma and everything else. And so if we're not present and we're interacting with each other, then we're all having our own experience based on what conditioning is doing to me. It has nothing to do with you. Yeah, I mean, when you give that example, it's really clear. The problem I have is when I say something unkind to someone, then my intention wasn't good. And if they have a bad reaction, that does feel like my fault. Well, it, so let's parse that because that's a very clear, very simple way to, to process map or parse it, right? Because what you can do in that situation, uh, process it or process map it. So what happens is, if, if you really look at it, it you, you say something, someone has, an, someone has a reaction, and then a voice in, in your head says, it's your fault. And so when you believe it, 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 it's like, yeah, what I said was unkind, because in some belief system it is. Somebody had some reaction, and therefore it's my fault. The process is the same process. And what, what you're... What we're, what you're what we're attempting to do is, well, you know, in an kind things and there are unkind things. But if we look at conditioned mind, everything in the conditioned world is dualistic. Something is kind and something is unkind. But if I'm not inhabiting that dualistic world, then you could look at, well, what is kind? What is unkind? What is a reaction, right? I can look at the process that's going on and then basically look at it and see, well, I didn't intend to be unkind. Therefore, do I need to take responsibility? And why do I take responsibility or why do I take blame? Is it because I'm conditioned to do that? And if I'm and I'm suffering as a, as a result of it, do I need to suffer? Don't I have a choice? And then, of course, if I did something skillful, then let me look to see how I might pay more attention so that life might drop in a, a more skillful way of being. I can work on that, but I don't have to work on it from this feeling of guilt and from this feeling of avoidance and from this feeling of being crucified that I ha- that to such an extent that I have to walk on eggshells around everybody. Oh my God, this is so interesting because I think what happened, what happened for me with that suicide was I was unskillful at times, and I'm, I'm no longer that way most of the time, but the, it did feel like being crucified. His death felt like a punishment, which I know is very ego-centered of me because it wasn't about me. It was his life. But it felt like such an extreme reaction that I... And, yes, and we can have I so took much compassion for the... Yeah, well, when we can have so much compassion for the person who was so tortured by the conditioning she was carrying around that that was her experience. But that doesn't mean it was true. Oh, yeah. Wow. Right? That's a beautiful and way so to then, look at it. Right. And so then, so oh, so many years later, that conditioning still lingers and, and tortures you that way. So there's love. There is, uh, there's goodness. There is all of that. I mean, it's a, it's a very, I mean, that's, what, that, that's, the, that's the fiendishness of conditioning, right? It collapses everything, everything's the singularity of personal health. <laughs> and there's so many threads woven into it that it's very hard to 
un, undo the knots to see what's really going on. And we attempt to do that mm-hmm. intellectually, but we have the tool of, of the recorder and the two-handed recording where we could be with the grief, be with the messiness of it without having to use conditioned mind to parse it as a way to embrace in compassion, which to heal something that cannot be resolved with the mind. And mm-hmm. we have tools by which we can look at some simple process like the one we just talked about and process map it to see how the suffering happens for you. And all of the beliefs that make it get reduced to blame when it doesn't have to be. Wow. Thank you so much, Ashwini. This is a, I'll listen to this again. This is a really powerful way of looking at it. And, and, and you know, uh, Melissa, as you process through it, as you, as you process map, that little process we talked about, or as you do the recording with the two-handed, the, the insights you'll have on how to be in relationship to this content will, will, be, will be so much. It'll change. It will become lighter. It'll become less dense and more, um, more, more sort of porous for you to be able to work with it. it if you apply the tools, I think that that both those tools, the, the, the experiential one to work with the suffering and the process mapping, you will, you will be able to, um, to sort of have the clarity, I think, that you're looking for as to how to be in relationship to it, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would want. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Melissa. And Ashwini, what dropped in for me during that conversation was the deep looking, the continuing to explore and go deeper. It's very inspiring. And uh, it's a great model for me when I think about my own practice and continuing to look. Yeah. Well, and when we, when we have... Uh, something so charged and so big that permeates through all of our lives, it really behooves us, as Melissa is doing, to to pay such close attention, right? Yes, yes, exactly so. And Ashwini, we're going to break for a good news update, and then we'll come back and talk with more callers. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Okay, Jen, turning it over to you for a good news update. All right. Thank you, Michael. And welcome to Good News Updates with Living Compassion. I'm pleased to be joined this afternoon by Justin, who is here to speak with us about his experience of participating in the New Year's retreat. Welcome, Justin. Hi, Jen. So glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for being with us. This being our first ever virtual New Year's retreat, and I think for many of us, we were delightfully... um, surprised at how much it really was like being on retreat. So perhaps you could tell us about your experience of participating. Uh, Sure, Jen. Um, So I've been on a couple of retreats, in-person retreats, and um, and I've been on one uh, in-person New Year's retreat in Menlo Park, Mm -hmm. if I recall. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right. Like, you know, when I saw this come in my email, it was like perfect timing. Um, you know, I mean, I've, every time there's a new retreat, I always want to go. Um, mm. But it's, you know, for me in the West Coast and with family and whatnot, it's like, you know, cross-continental flight and then blah, blah, and work and the rain, you know, blah. And so when I saw this, it was like so perfect. Um, yeah, so, and, and for me, it's also the first time doing a, I mean, I'm not sure if there's been retreats in the past, like this, definitely the first uh, virtual uh, year in, but I'm not sure, you know, other like weekend events or whatever, but yeah, this, it yeah. just, it was amazing for me. Yeah, yeah, and and you already touched on, I think, one of the elements that was so powerful about it is that, and we talked about this last week when we were leading up to it, how amazing it was that it was going to be accessible to people who, for whom it might not be accessible. You know, for you, it's a cross-country flight. You've got family. There's a lot of things going on that time of year, et cetera, et cetera. 
always wanting to sign up, but this time there it was, perfect. You know, just the timing <laughs> of it was good, and so you got to participate. And as you say, you've been on some other retreats and in-person retreats and finding that this really was a retreat experience, even though it was virtual. 100%, yeah. And, um, you know, I've, you know, over the years have tried, you know, my own kind of cobbling together some kind of, you know, I, I have a long weekend or a week off and try to do some type of um, uh, stay-at-home, you know, mm-hmm. DIY kind of retreat. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. But, yeah, it's, you know, to have the structure and have the support and, like, even the the emails that came prior, like, I told my wife and my my daughter and I prepared food and, you know, like, every, you know, like, just to get, like, just the logistics of it, right, so that, you know, they know that I'm away and I know that, you know, this is a, uh, you know, treating it as a, a, you know, monastic environment now. It's like, you know, it's my office Mm -hmm. or whatever, but. Now it's not anymore. It's where I'm going to yeah. be doing my retreat. So um, yeah. it is such a blessing. And, um, yeah, something that, like you say, you know, it's as close as I could get to, like, in terms of a uh, in-person retreat. Yeah. Well, and that's so, that's so great that you really took to heart um, some of those encouragements that went out in the emails before to really put some time and care attention into setting it up for yourself so that you really did have the elements you know it's really different to be in your own house right and and the temptations are there and the you know all of that but to really set things up to tell the people in your environment to make the space to even to make some food ahead so that you really got to turn your attention to retreat which i'm guessing for a lot of us justin is really the biggest piece of it and why it did feel so much like being on retreat because that's really it, isn't it, is turning our attention to that inward focus. That's the greatest gift of being on retreat. Yeah. And, you know, what I experienced was just such a kindness, right? A kindness for setting a time aside for myself. Kindness to, you know, really commit you know, and um, yeah. because, you know, doing it myself, <clears throat> you know, it's like exactly right. You know, you try and, okay, I'm going to go grocery shopping and then I'm going home and then I'm going to sit a little and then I'm going to, you know, do a bit of yard work and then sit a little. It just doesn't work, right? But that kindness of actually committing full, you know, in this case, uh, you know, what was it, 24 to 48 hours uh, mm-hmm. just for practice, you know, yeah. and yeah. So yeah, yes, so really I'm so grateful, and, and I'm so thankful for for uh, having to be able to participate. Yeah, and just having that, you know, I know for for me, one of the elements was the workshops, the way the workshops were set up, and how that really walked us through a process and yeah. got to see, you know, sort of um, drop into that place of almost like hitting the reset button for the new year, in a sense, of really having that. Um, that extra support. Exactly. And, you know, uh, uh, I, I know that Jen did our yoga sessions. I'm not sure if there were other ones, but just all yeah, of that was so it. phenomenal. Um, you know, to have yeah. the group, the yoga, yeah. Um, yeah. a bit of working meditation, and then and then obviously the, 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 the sashim, you know, having a, a good continuous block of, you know, uh, meditation. Just um, just amazing. It was amazing. And I'm glad you brought in the yoga because for me that was one of the things that really helped it ground it as an actual retreat because um, yoga is always part of our, um, our New Year's retreat. And to get to have, yeah, our yoga teacher was just absolutely phenomenal. Um, and to get to come together in that way and there's something about grounding in the body in that yoga practice that really helps the attention um, move inward. And with all those other elements that you pointed out too, you know, lots of extra sitting, being able to have the sashin sitting through into the new year, just putting all of those elements together. And as you, as you started us off with, 
being all together doing it because it is powerful, you know, having, setting aside time for yourself, you know, where you're going to have a a long weekend just for your own retreat or a week long for your own retreat. That is really powerful, but it's not the same as coming together with other folks to do it in that way as a whole. And for me, the big litmus test, like experientially, is whenever I've gone on in-person retreats, I always notice two things. Uh One is a sense of spaciousness Mm. where everything kind of fades and like, you know, daily life kind of fades. And then the other thing is, and I don't know if it's just me, but very, very vivid dreaming. So it's almost like something changes. And Uh this, (laughs) I experienced exactly the same things over the weekend Uh, where uh. it was... um, like yeah, by the time Sunday and then uh, Monday yesterday came around, there's there's a new a, a renewed sense of spaciousness, and it's just looking at you know life like nothing's changed, but everything's different, right? Something's different. So, yeah. That's it. That's completely it. That there's been a process shift. That really having that, and it's fun that you had those real markers, the things that you're used to experiencing on retreat, that spaciousness, and also the vivid dreaming, and to have those things happen during the ritual retreat and realize, oh, this really is that process of dropping in, and then carrying that with you, you know, after the retreat. It's very much my experience that, you know, the content of life goes on just like it was, but the experience of it is so different, having just had that real retreat experience. Yeah. So, gratitude. Thank you, everybody, for putting it together on on your end, because uh, it was amazing, Jen. So, thank you. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. Thank you, Justin, for being with us this afternoon to talk about it, and I'll um, second that. Thank you to everyone who put everything they did into creating it for all of us. It was absolutely lovely. So, thank you, Justin, and we hope to have more of them going forward. So oh, well, I hope to yeah, participate in more of it going forward, too. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Take care. Good night. Good night. And, Michael, we'll turn it back over to you and Ashwani. Wonderful. Thank you, Jen, and thank you, Justin. And welcome back to Open Air. And, Ashwani, we have more callers here. Wonderful. Thanks, Michael. Sure. Next caller, you are now live on the air, and would you please introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, this is Susan from Denver. This is Susan. Hi. I haven't called in for quite a while. Um, I'm just noticing for me there's um I'm still <laughs> I seem to still be struggling quite a bit with feelings of loneliness that come up that feel extremely painful for me. Mhm. And um and I um and kind of connecting, like when I'm <clears throat> talking to like the those parts of me, it's often like my kind of my inner child that I talk to that seems to come up when I do recordings. Like talking to the inner child that feels so much pain around feeling alone all the time and isolated, and. Mm-hmm. You just feel so much anger that I'm not able to <laughs> make it happen that we can actually get together with friends. Uh-huh. And those, so yeah. a couple of clarifying questions around that. So mm-hmm. is this process of feeling lonely familiar to you? Is it very familiar? Uh-huh. So it is a oh, process. Oh, sorry. But so, Mm-hmm. It's a process of suffering, not a process of loneliness, right? It feels it's it actually does feel like it's both in a sense. Uh-huh. 
the, the loneliness is real. The need for more connection is real. Uh-huh. And that's um, interesting, oh, yeah. right, uh, Susan, because when we say the need for connection, so have you explored that on the recorder? Yeah, uh, I have, and then I do try to do those things, but then I don't get anywhere. Like I, I call up my friends here in Denver, and no one has time, and I call them again, and no one has time, and then the last time I've seen a friend is a half a year ago. And then I think about, you know, our community, and I realize, well, I can't really call people there either because we're not really, you know, that's not really the direction that we go, that we call people and talk to people. We're supposed to not do that, I guess. That feels confusing. And then I, <laughs> and then I go, turn to other communities and, and uh-huh. have a little bit, <laughs> yeah, like sometimes I do feel confused within our community that there isn't that possibility for more one-on-one connection. Um, Something. So I, I think that would be so helpful, but yeah. yeah. What I'm here to say is, uh, is there's a need for connection. There's an attempt to do the things that should produce connection. There is that doesn't produce it. And then there's a lot of uh, reaction to that. And there's, a con- there's well, an identification, it sounds like, with someone who's trying to connect and is unable to and feels angry as a result. Would that be well, I think there's were? also a lot of pain there. There's just a lot of pain because, uh-huh. because the connection, it feels like... Um, it just feels painful not having the connection I need. Yeah. Well, and, um, it just feels very, so, yeah, like very emotionally painful, and it's hard to be with that tremendous amount of emotional pain when it's there quite often. Um, and so, um, so, Susan, what I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, are you familiar with the vocabulary of this practice? Yeah, I mean, what? Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, so, I am. But so I am. Right. I some. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes have shifted a little bit to, like, to, example, talking to my inner child instead of. Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of one of the things yeah. that flagged me, right? Because, you know, yes, we look at aspects of the personality and something that we say is aspects of the personality want a lot of things, but what they all need is unconditional love and acceptance. And if we offer that to ourselves, if we are the conscious, compassionate awareness that is inviting all these aspects of the personality into that space, then usually they respond and if they don't respond, we want to be really suspicious that they're, not as, they, that they're not aspects of the personality, but they are the ego attempting to maintain a, an identification or an identity that causes a lot of suffering. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that. And, I, and I, 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 think, I think I actually am talking to those parts of me that need a lot of unconditional love. They come up as inner children in me. Mm-hmm. When I do the recording, they, they sound like the inner children that, from the past, maybe the, the younger selves that, uh, that need a lot of unconditional love from me. Yes. But they're also being very stubborn in their refusal, right? Which is why I'm suggesting that you might want to be suspicious of it and that there is a way in which um, we might want to uh, explore this process and inquiry. So are you familiar with the, the tool of the process mapping? Oh, sorry, I didn't hear that acoustically. Are you familiar with the tool of process mapping? Oh, yeah, I am familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Have you actually done a process map with this process of feeling lonely and the need for connection and the pain and what happens to you in that process? Not in a written form, no. Mm. 
I've yeah, done that more in my head. You've done it more in your head? Yeah, I do it more in my head, yeah. Well, that's one place we don't want to do a process map because what we're doing is within conditioned mind. So the whole purpose of using it as a tool, a large sheet of paper with stickies that you write down what the voices are saying, is to take that process that's happening inside within which you are attempting to resolve what's going on for you and put it outside so you can disidentify from it and actually look at it through the lens of what are the beliefs, what are the assumptions, who are the players, what is, what's the self-hate, and actually externalize the process a little bit. So that would be something that I would suggest you would, you would explore. Well, I have done something similar to that. It's a while back, though. Not, I haven't done it real recently where I wrote it down. But it seems to be the same thing that's coming up again and again, <laughs> the same. And I, and I yeah. do feel like it's more like those, it more, it's more, it's more than that yeah. conditioned thinking. It feels more like the parts that feel a lot of pain that need unconditional love. I, I think I'm, yeah. I well, think I, I, I don't want it to be that way. I don't want there to be that pain, I think. I think yeah. that well, and, and if you don't want there to be pain, then you are willing to do what it takes to be able to look at the process of suffering that is, that is going on for you. So perhaps maybe you can mm -hmm. uh, take on the process mapping. I believe it's available on Sherry's blog. And work with it a little bit. And then perhaps we can uh, hear from you in terms of where you've seen what you've seen about having attempted to process the, the process of suffering and uh, record some more about what you see from that and then call back into the show. Okay. But I kind of have done it in the past, even though not recently. And mm -hmm. you think it's going to come out differently? I don't Oh yeah, I think yeah. It, I think that yeah. if, you, if you actually attempt to work with the process and actually process map it and keep keep very very good notes about what the voices are telling you, you will see something. Absolutely. Well, I think I was thinking that these parts just need a lot of unconditional love and compassion and understanding for maybe feeling so much pain around not getting the connection they need. Here's the thing, Susan. That is mm -hmm. that is being that statement is being made from within the process. So whatever I say to you on this call mm -hmm. is going to be seen from within the process. So unless you're disidentified from the process, there's very little that we can actually do to move past where you are. Which is why attempting to use the tool like the process map will assist you to see the process and then we have we can have a conversation about how how we can proceed from seeing the process rather than from being within the process oh it's like i'm at the moment i'm i'm too connected with the, maybe those parts of me that are feeling the pain instead of being connected more with the loving mentor and seeing it from that Point of view is that how you mean it? Kind well, of. yes, that you identified with whatever is that uh, uh, identification, that identity that talks mm -hmm. from within the process, and therefore anything that's offered is 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 seen as something that is not addressing what that person is experiencing. And so the attempt to disidentify from the process would be the first movement you would make. And and it sounds like in recording about it, that movement doesn't happen for you so perhaps you try the process map and then let's have the conversation again okay yeah i guess it's like shifting more to the the loving mentor uh, or, susan i think just you listen to this interaction once again because the, the guidance that's being offered is to do the process mapping yeah but well i guess the process mapping means that you see it you're not within it. You're seeing it from a distance, kind of. Well, that well, I you don't have been in any of the it. roles, and I'm just seeing it clearly. Is that right? 
Well, you won't be able to see anything. You won't be able to have the experience I'm pointing to till you do the process map. So let's do the process map and then go from there, okay? Okay, uh, th then I'll, I'll do it like that. Uh, I think I understand what you're talking about, though. Yeah, that I'm too caught up in it and not seeing it, yeah, from a different perspective. And, and and doing the yes, process map will get me to see it from another perspective because I won't be caught in it. Precisely. I won't be caught up in it. Exactly, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yes. That's what I was trying to say. That was okay. my attempt to say that. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks, Okay, Susan. thank you. Thanks for joining us, Susan. And I found that conversation fascinating. And I love that process that's encouraged that I listen to every caller as if it's myself and um, find my own experience within each one. And, um, and I do. So it's great. Yeah, it is. And we have another caller here. Next caller, you are now live on the air. And would you please introduce yourself? Hi, this is Karen from California. Hi, Karen. Hey, Karen. Hey. Um, oh, I loved, I just want to say I loved the New Year's retreat as well, and it was really fun hearing the good news update. And I actually called in because I've still been working with the um, what I saw on the retreat. I've just taken it a little bit farther for myself than I wanted to run it by. Uh huh. So, um, so I I was looking at um, how uh, some suffering around um, this this um, well how it came to me was uh, people just don't behave the way they should, and uh, that's mm -hmm. what I was <clears throat> what arose for me in the retreat and um, and then I, and I started looking at that, wondering if that, I mean, I, yes, that's an identification. And so I just, I wrote down all the shoulds of how people should behave. And it was, um, it, it was, I mean, I could have gone on, I went on for a couple of pages. And, um, <clears throat> and I had, you know, some of the things I don't even do. I mean, it had, it was just. I was just amazed at all the things people should do, and I began to look at it, and I, I thought, well, these shoulds are more like this is what this person wishes or this person wants. You know, it was, um, these are more wants, like this is, um, I guess, wanting, <laughs> wanting, uh, you know, one of the causes of suffering, wanting something that I, that I can't have, which, of course, is any sort of control over what people do and it could be <clears throat> something really simple you know like somebody um, leaving a mess for someone else to clean up or it could be something big in the world or you know it just could all kinds of things and I began to when I saw that I saw that the person just wanted these things it somehow that kind of um, that brought some compassion for the person mm. that wants all that. It just was like, oh, you know, there's nothing the matter with that this person wants it. And um, and I began to just kind of look at that. Well, okay, so here are these things. And I, and I began to, like, a, a number of the things on the list were things that... Um, that would cause worry, you know, if they cause anxiety, worry <clears throat> about, you know, what about well-being. Um, and, um, and I began to just really kind of look at it, like how to sort of how to work with it. And I'm the process map, I mean, this, it almost felt like a process map because it was just like all these things that came out. It was just, I, that actually occurred to me that this could just be written in a circle of a process map. And, um, and I just started thinking about just sort of 
looking, taking each one and just the word that came up to me was just surrendering all these, just acknowledging them and just, but just surrendering any need to have any of them. Not that they're objects I could have, but um, just, uh, you know, and I mean, mixed up in there, I think, is some control, like wishing I could control things um, mm. but, and surrendering that. Um, anyway, so can I yeah. catch up with, I think yeah. what you're what 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 you're doing? What you're um, it's a it's a process of inquiry here, right? So yeah. what dropped in is uh, how people should be, and so then there's a process of of writing down all of the shoulds just to look at what is all this, what are all the underlying shoulds that seem to be operating here, and then looking at the shoulds and realizing, oh wait, wait a second, these are wishes, right? This first, that, that these are all these wishes that are that 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 seem to be, it's not really a should. If you really look at it, it's a wish. And it, it, it has something to do with a sense of well-being and a sense of control and a sense of anxiety or worry even. And so yeah. what I hear you saying is, and it is like doing a process map because what you're uncovering is all the beliefs and assumptions and the projections and the and the way in which the suffering is maintained, because it all comes down to wanting something that you can't have, which is exerting control over people's circumstances or environment in order for you to feel okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's over. It's, it can be over, you know, it can be over, um, it could be something like, I wish that person wasn't sick in the ICU. I wish they would have done things differently so that wouldn't have happened for them. Or it could be people I don't even know. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and then I think we, watched, we looked at this in, a lot in the retreat. Yeah. What we recognize as a process is... Um, there's an outward, uh, there's a, a belief or an assumption that if, the, if everything got away, then I wouldn't feel this way. And what we realize is, of course, you can't arrange the world in order to feel this way. So if I'm feeling this way, how do I look at what's going on for me in order for me to feel okay, rather than uh, relying on arranging the world for me to be okay? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then if you look at, oh, well, I wish somebody had done something differently so they weren't sick, you recognize that the suffering is happening for you. Yes. So divorcing the analysis from the content to the process that's happening for you assists you to, tra- to transcend the suffering for yourself at a process level rather than a content level. Yeah, and it, I mean, and I, what came up is a practice, a way to practice with all this, because this was quite a lengthy list, and I don't even think it's complete, and um, just as a way to work with it was to just really, you know, just look at each one, and just, um, and I could start with people in my family, and just, um, uh, and just, surrender that to say yes you know this want is here there's nothing the matter with wanting something for someone but to just surrender it and just understand that that doesn't um that's all it is it's just i guess just an empty want it doesn't um i mean not empty in that it can cause suffering for me but empty in that it has any power or any anything will come of it that that has any useful anything except to ego and um so i guess that's the question i'm just looking at a way to work with all of these and um and i guess that's what i wanted to run by is sort of this sense of surrendering them all yeah, because uh, here's what I hear you saying, right, Karen, that there is, uh, there is a recognition of the process and what you're, 
what you're looking at is what's the thread, right? What's the common process around all of these? Yeah. And one way to do it is to elicit it, is to write down all of the shoulds and see what's, I mean, there's a, there's a methodology that you to get to clarity around the process that exists through all of these things. And yeah. so then I project that as you sit with it, as you record and listen to your uh uh, you know, to to the inquiry, the clarity of how to work with it will also arise, because okay. because um, trying to figure it out or uh, attempting to to figure out what the answer is through analysis, we know is referencing really the place where there are no answers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yes, and in the retreat, um, that's that what had what arose just as a next step, and I think it is only a next step was just this sense of surrendering, and then seeing where that goes, I guess, and then finding the next step of just how to work with this, and um, and there was just something about the movement between just seeing all these, somebody kind of shaking their finger at the world like, you know, you should do blah, blah, blah. And then just saying, oh, this is just, I want this, or this person wants this. And I, I mean, I'm saying it almost like a, I don't know if it's well, an aspect you know, of the... confusing place, right? Because, the, I mean, this this we could take the rest of the call to parse this and we don't have the time to do that. But right. that whole... Whole, whole attempt of, t- okay, this is should and this person wants it and so what's wrong with wanting? There's nothing wrong with preferences. What we're identifying is when there, it's, not, it's not a place of freedom. What you truly want is to be free from the conditioning. Yes. And so to be free from the conditioning is not to listen to, not to go to conditioned mind about any of it, right? Yeah. To, yes, okay. we want to that all of this content that produces the suffering and all of the reactivity lies in the suffering process, which could be under the embrace of suffering is. And so then the redirect is simply, okay, well, I recognize that, oh, this is the should, this is the want. I I, I realize that I'm in a process of identification. Let me pull out the recorder and get here. Because from here... Whatever needs to, whatever the answer is in the moment, whatever the compassion needs to be, will arise in the moment. We don't actually yes. have to figure anything out. Yes. Okay. We don't even have to figure out how to work with it because we know the answer to that one. Yeah. Okay. I, I see. I uh, thank you. That's just helpful to hear and um, and. Um, that that is really helpful to hear. So thank you. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, and because I because we don't wary of the process that makes this a problem. Yeah, that you have to solve for. Yeah, yeah, and I I guess I wasn't aware that I was trying to figure it out, and um, and and I just I think the next step is just to keep recording and listening and um, and maybe some surrendering and then just seeing where it goes because I've never quite seen, you know, I've never quite seen this like this before, this whole, just never quite well, seen it like this. Yeah, and to honor the process that is guiding you, right? Because this, uh, writing all the shoulds down, attempting to uh, crystallize the, the, the process is what a process map is, right? We, we yeah. bring into conscious awareness what is unconscious in, its, in the specifics, and that provides insight and clarity to the pattern, to the process that's operating. And once we have clarity uh, around that, then we can embrace that, the suffering that it produces, and in embracing that suffering by bringing conscious awareness to the process, there is a way in which it resolves itself. Yes. Right. And the and the clarity the clarity itself is the transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'll listen Thank you. again. Yeah. All yes. right. Thanks, Karen.
Thanks for joining us, Karen. The clarity is the transformation, Ashwini. I love that. It's great. Mm, yeah. And we've come to the end of the hour. And so I want to thank you, Ashwini, for being here and for Sangha for joining us. And uh, I'm grateful for the experience. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thank you. Go happy. Go happy. <laughs>